I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, continue our sermon series in the book of Genesis. We're going to be reading verses 27 through 34 this morning. And it can be found in your pew Bibles, Genesis chapter 25, verse 27 through 34 on page 38. Starting the reading in verse 21. Hear now the holy, inspired, and infallible word of God. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Um, I wonder if you guys remember those books. There's so many of them now. Um, They're called uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Chicken Soup for the Soul is um, a series of books with just a a lot of stories um, that have some sort of moral lesson in them, right? They have some sort of lesson that they are teaching you, and uh, they were sort of known for, you know, convincing people, changing people's minds uh, about things. Uh, the first book, like most subsequent titles in the series, consisted of inspirational true stories about ordinary people's lives. The book became a major bestseller, something of a social phenomenon. Um, unlike the, those books, Chicken Soup for the Soul, which tells stories that are like soup for your soul, right? Uh, the idea of the, the title Chicken Soup for Your Soul is that you read these stories and, 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 and your soul is sick. And by reading these stories... It's like eating chicken soup when you're sick. You just you, you feel better. You get that warm feeling in your belly. Well, today in our scripture passage, we're learning about how one brother sold his soul for some soup. And our theme this morning is don't give up 
the living water and bread of life for the passing pottage of this world. Don't give up the living water and bread of life for the passing pottage of this world. Now that term, passing pottage of this world, I took from James Montgomery Boyce. Um, just has a nice ring to it, so I decided to keep it, okay? We have two points this morning. The first is father-liked, mother-liked. And that's verses 27 to 28. And the second is nearsighted, farsighted, verses 29 through 34. So let's look at that first point, father-liked, mother-liked. Now, some of us today are familiar with the, uh, the phrase, like father, like son, or like mother, like daughter, or something like that. But uh, that's not what I'm talking about here. That's not what the scriptures are telling us about when we speak about these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Um, the idea here is that the differences in Jacob and Esau um, uh, related to also the favoritism that the parents had with these children. Uh, we're told that when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. He was what you would call today a man's man. I'm assuming that even maybe if you wanted to, you could picture Esau with a nice beard. An outdoors man. The one that when deer season came around, you knew he had all the nicest spots to, uh, to set up his, uh, his deer spots, his deer places. And he, and he would be all the nice equipment hunting these deer, okay? You can tell I don't know anything about hunting because <laughs> I was like, what are those things called that you climb up into and you, I don't know. Deer stand, there you go, thank you. See? Yeah, um, he had the cameras out, he had all the things that attracted the deer, all that kind of stuff. That's what Esau was like, an outdoorsman. You know, if Esau were here today, I think he would frequent, he would probably have a line of credit at Cabela's, Bass Pro Shop. He's that kind of guy, okay? But Jacob, well, the NIV says he's a quiet man. Um, he stayed among the tents. Um, he, was, um, he was somebody that if in high school Esau would have been on the football team and Jacob would have been on the chess team, if you catch my drift. Esau would have been on the wrestling team, Jacob would have been a thespian. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with either one of these realities, but what the Bible is teaching us is that there are major differences in Jacob and Esau, their personalities, their dispositions, the things that they like, okay? And, and we get that from the fact that this story plays out like this. Esau is out hunting. Jacob is at home in the kitchen. And so this is what we got. Esau is a skillful hunter. He's a man of the open country. Jacob is a, is a stay-at-home kind of, he's a homebody, right? And because Isaac, his father, loved the taste of wild game, he loved that Esau made deer jerky and venison and all kinds of yummy food that they would make from this wild game, okay? Isaac liked this, so he loved Esau. He loved Esau. But the mom, Rebecca, loved Jacob. The mom, Rebecca, loved Jacob. And that will play out later, we'll find out, in the deception that happens 
with the gathering the blessing uh, that we're going to talk about as we get to that point. But what we have here is that one son was liked by the father, one son was liked by the mother, one son was a, um, a, a more manly man, outdoorsy kind of man, and one son was a little bit more of a, um, a homebody, okay? Uh, and what we could say about this is that Esau, at his best, would have been brave, would have been uh, triumphant, would have been uh, courageous, um, and, and at his worst, he was instinctual. He thought in the moment. He thought of the present. He didn't think about the future. He was, um, he was somebody who, uh, who didn't have um, a lot of uh, depth to his um, uh, thinking, okay? And, and Jacob, we could say at his best, is he is a planner. He thinks about the future. He thinks about things. He is, um, he's smart. He's intelligent, right? And at his worst, Jacob is conniving, and he's trickery. He's, tr- he's a trick. He's a trick, not a treat. Okay, Jacob is uh, is somebody who is who is deceptive. Now, there's nothing being said here about well, is it better to be kind of an Esau or is it better to be kind of a Jacob? What this is saying is that there are different personalities and there are different dispositions, and, and these different personalities and these different dispositions have things that are more challenging to them if you're going to walk out the path of living the Christian life, okay? So that sets up a contrast that we have here, okay? Which gives context to the next thing that happens, nearsighted, farsighted, okay? Many of you might be thinking, what is so important about this story that seems so insignificant? The story about the difference in personalities in these two twin brothers, Esau and Jacob. The story about the difference between or this moment when Esau is out hunting and he comes in and he's so hungry that he asks for some soup from his brother and his brother says, but first you got to do this. You got to sell me your birthright. And he's like, I don't care. Just give me the, what is so important about this? We might think it's insignificant, but the, uh, the rest of the Bible doesn't because it comments on this moment. Hebrews chapter 12, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, talks about God disciplining his children and how that is an expression of God's love to us. And he ends uh, this discussion about discipline in this way. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The book of Hebrews is being written to people who are considering of turning back from the faith, who are considering leaving the Christian community. And the author of the book of Hebrews is saying, continue on. Fight the good fight of the faith. Don't give up because you don't understand there's nothing else to go back to. Right? And so it makes sense that the author of the book of Hebrews would say, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. 
See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, who could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. This is why we uh, move on to our second point, this difference between nearsighted and farsighted. Many of us maybe would not understand the importance of what's being spoken of here if we don't understand what is involved in the inheritance. You see, in the family of God, the inheritance was largely, largely, very, very, very much important. And the oldest son, Esau, the one being born first, would get a double inheritance. But we don't really think about the inheritance like we should in the fullest sense that we should. Because the inheritance in the Bible when it came to the family of God was not just about the wealth. It was not just Isaac saying, listen, all that I have will be given to you. When there is a reading of the, my last will and testimony, you will be the one who receives all my tents, all my servants, all my gold, all my fields, all my animals, all my livestock, all that. That will be yours, okay? But the importance of the inheritance that is often left out is the spiritual inheritance. There were physical and spiritual realities to this inheritance. And this comes to fruition... Later on, when we see that Isaac, in his giving of a blessing, giving of an inheritance, prophesies over these people. There is a spiritual reality to this inheritance. And so that when the the New Testament speaks about Esau and says, don't be like Esau, who was fleshly, who is thinking in the moment... And because of that, forsook the eternal. Esau, in his impulsive nature, despised his birthright. He took it for granted. He took it in vain. What we had, what he had. So not only do we see that here in this moment... We're, we're, we're being, it's being revealed to us that neither Esau or Jacob are shining stars of moral values and character, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a brother and I was out and I was hungry and I came into my uh, brother's tent and he was cooking food, I, I, I wouldn't ask for food. I would just go up and pour me some and eat some. And if I asked for it, I would be shocked that my brother wouldn't give me food. I mean, isn't that what family's supposed to do? But Jacob takes advantage of his brother and causes him, makes him swear an oath. Jacob took advantage of his brother. You see, Esau wasn't actually going to starve to death. That's not reality. But he felt that he would die. He felt that he would faint. 
And because Jacob understood and he knew the impulsive nature of his brother, that his brother was more nearsighted, his brother lived in the moment, in the present, and his brother didn't think about the importance of eternal things because he was always thinking about temporal things. He was a very worldly kind of guy. He was a very earthy kind of guy. Because Jacob knew that, he said, hey, if you want this food, I got it right here. It's ready for you right here. If you want this passing pottage of this world, you have to give me the internal inheritance that you're owed as the oldest son. And in that moment, Esau did not see the value of living water if somebody drinks, will never be thirsty again. Of the bread of life if somebody eats, will never be hungry again. And so he said, here, take it. I, I, I don't need it right now because I'm going to, what, what good is it going to do me if I die? I'll take the passing pottage of this world. Oh, the many applications of this story. One of the applications that is so very important for us to grasp from this story about Esau and Jacob is that Esau is a member of the covenant family. Esau belongs to the people of God. Esau was a man who had the privilege and the blessing of hearing the stories of God's faithfulness from his dad, Isaac, about his grandpa, Abraham. About hearing the promise that God had given to Abraham that I will be your God and you will be my people, that I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will be with you and I, through your seed, will bless all the nations of the world. Esau had those privileges. He was, he was raised in the church. He was raised as a Christian. He was raised hearing the word of God. He was raised being a recipient of the sacraments in the form of circumcision in the Old Testament. Esau had all these things. And he despised his birthright. I want you to think about this. Because I'm sure that many of you know, many of you know of people who grew up in the church who were baptized in the church, who maybe even made profession of faith in the church. Many of you know of people who came Lord's Day after Lord's Day to hear the preaching of God's word. Many of you know of people who received the Lord's Supper. Many of you know of people who heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over again and who are now this day not walking with the Lord. They are despising their birthright. They are despising the blessing that God has given to them. The privileges that God has given to them. And the warning that the author of the book of Hebrews is giving is this. See that no one, see that no one gives up the living water and bread of life 
for the passing pottage of this world. See that no one is so wrapped up into this world and what this world seems to have to offer that you sell your inheritance rights for a single meal. You see, what the inheritance stood for in the Old Testament is all the benefits that we have in Christ. We are now the co-heirs. We are inheritors of the world to come in Jesus Christ. We are recipients of all the blessings that God promised to Abraham because we are in Christ that promised seed. And what Esau does here in this moment as he turns down an endless banquet feast to the wedding supper of the Lamb for a piece of moldy bread. Brothers and sisters, don't forsake Christ for anything in this world. It is not worth it. Don't despise your birthright. Don't despise your birthright. Pray for those who've turned away from the Lord, who are not walking with the Lord anymore. It is never too late. Until it's too late. Because you see, there was a time when it was too late for Esau. And the book of Hebrews tells us about it. That by the time Esau was done eating his porridge eating his lentil stew. By the time his feeling of starvation dissipated and he came to his senses, by the time he realized that he had lost the inheritance that was for him, it was too late. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessings with tears. That time, that time when it would be too late, was in the case or was in the time period of Esau's life. But for us, for us, it's when Christ comes again or we pass from this life into the next. And the warning that the author of the book of Hebrews is giving is don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't despise your birthright. Don't give up the living water and bread of life that Christ offers, that Christ is for the passing pottage of this world. Jeremiah would say, don't give up the living water for broken cisterns. They cannot hold. Whatever you choose in this life, it will not last. It will not last. And what God has for us in Jesus, it's a forever, wonderful thing. So my prayer to you, is that you would not sell your soul for some soup.
And that you would know that something greater than chicken soup for the soul is Jesus for the soul. He's the only one who can truly satisfy. He's the only one that we should look to. He's the only one that we could say, like David does in Psalm 63, that um, your love is better than life. In Psalm 63, when David says these words that I read at the beginning of our worship service this morning, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. He was talking about God. He was saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. When David says at the beginning of Psalm 63, Earnestly I seek you, Lord. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, he's saying, God is the one who quenches our thirst. God is the one who satisfies. And what we're being told here in this story is even though Jacob is an imperfect role model, at least he was thinking about the eternal, the thing that lasts. And Esau was all wrapped up in the temporal, in the worldly. So let's follow after Jacob's example in this situation. Let's heed the warning that Esau gives us here. And let us not give up the living water and bread of life of Christ for the passing pottage of this world. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have um, given us an eternal and lasting salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would not be like Esau who sold his soul for some soup, who chose the passing pottage of this world instead of the living water and bread of life that Christ offers. We pray, Heavenly Father, for all those who in this very moment look like they are choosing the path of Esau, who grew up in the church and forsook their inheritance and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the means of grace given to them in the word and the preaching of the gospel. And who are not walking with you now. Who seem in this very moment to be choosing to sell their soul for some soup. To choose the things of this world, the temporary and not lasting blessings and curses. And pleasures that this world has to offer. Not knowing that one day those things will run out. And all that will last, all that will remain will be living water, will be the bread of life. And may they, Lord, be turned by you. May you work in their hearts and their lives to turn them back to you. That they may once again be those who are recipients of your great inheritance in Jesus Christ. That they would once again drink of the living water and eat of the bread of life in Jesus And we pray, Lord, that we would, by your grace, continue to keep our eyes on what is eternal and what is lasting. 
that we would store up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, that we would trust that we have all that we need and all that we could ever want in Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.